0: I'm speaking with Alan He He's the critic for NPR's All Things Considered. He's also an author. His latest novel is To Catch the Lightning. His newest book is a collection of travel essays titled A Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan.
1: My pleasure, Rick.
0: Let's start our discussion of some books with a discussion of Stieg Larsson's Girl. Wow,
1: well, yeah. Oh, boy. Or Oh, Girl, I should say. <laughs> yes. Oh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Oh, Girl who played with fire, oh girl who kicked the hornets the, the um uh, conclusion concluding volume of the trilogy that uh, I'm holding in my hand here. Um, and it it's just one of the most entertaining uh uh mystery series that um, you'll ever find. Um, it's you know, it's hard to know the level of the prose. It, it seems kind of workmanlike translation from probably workmanlike Swedish, but um the, the author, the late Stieg Larson, I guess, was a magazine writer and publisher, uh, and that plays some role in, in uh, the life of uh, the journalist Michael Bloomquist, who is the, the uh, I don't know whether you say he's the Sancho Panza or the Quixote to the main character, <laughs> Elizabeth Salander, Salind- who is the girl who, uh, but she is one of the most engaging and memorable and uh, really extraordinary characters in modern popular fiction, I think. Um, and as this trilogy unfolds, you get to learn about her in really interesting fashion. Uh, you discover that her uh, birth is uh, really a kind of dark event. Uh, she's uh, related to some one of the most unsavory characters in modern fiction, she has uh, a lot of people chasing her, from some very very disturbed criminals to a, uh, a, a sociopath brother, and uh, and the government is opposed to her, and uh, the police want her. I mean, it's just an amazing uh, plot that that uh, Larson has cooked up, yeah. and it's absolutely credible. And, and the way you, you kind of. Uh, he kind of sneaks up on you, I guess. You you you're sort of like the lobster in the pot of slowly uh, warming water, uh, but uh, you know she she you read these books and she stays with you.
0: Well, one of the things I really liked about her character is that she's not <clears throat> even though she emerges as a heroine, she's not a, a, a perfect person by any means, and, and we get to the we get to know her and like her by virtue of seeing her act against a really griddly. Uh, depicted background of, of mm-hmm. and well researched too, in terms right. of the technology, the the way the technology is woven into the plot. I think is one of the things that's really outstanding about these books.
1: Yep, I mean as far as her character goes, she's kind of you know she's troubled, young, punk punkish, mildly autistic, bisexual heroine, but uh, you know she's got a spine of steel and uh, tremendously admirable, and you're always rooting for her, even when she's um, comes I mean, she's shot in the head and buried alive and uh you know you're rooting for her to come back <laughs> into into the light, uh, and uh it's no surprise to anyone uh, that she does, but uh it's a real triumph. At the at the end of the novel is one of the finest uh, courtroom scenes, most exciting courtroom scenes I've ever read. Mhm. Um, and I think
0: that he does a great job of uh, doing the character and plot arcs within the no- each novel mm-hmm. and across the trio. And this is something that's kind of hard to to suss until you've gulped the whole thing down. But there's a lot of skill, a lot of literary skill, mm-hmm. that goes into putting something like this together. Yeah. It's a piece of popular fiction, but it's a remarkably complicated and well-oiled machine yeah. that takes you through characters you kind of like and don't like, but the upshot is it's a really super pleasurable reading
1: experience. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Larson, alas, now the late Larson, is a a kind of narrative genius. A lot like Stephen King in that regard. He just has this incipient drive that just keeps everything going. And uh, who knows how many characters there are in this thing. I mean, I stopped counting at about a dozen and all of them are beautifully done and Really makes clear that uh, Northern Europe and Scandinavia, in particular, is one of the you know the hottest uh, narrative centers in the world right now. Mm-hmm.
0: And it interests me too um, that it's called the Millennium Trilogy because that suggests, on one hand, some kind of futuristic vision, and there is that in it. But also, the Millennium is frankly in our past, so we get to kind of look at the future. As the past, and I think that's an interesting kind of contrast here because we have a, a gritty mystery that's, in many ways, you know, the plot points could have come from a 1930s story, right? But, but they're redone with this
1: new. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's there's it, it's got one foot in the Cold War and the other foot in the future, and um, I mean, if if you despise uh, bureaucracies, especially government bureaucracies, wow, uh, this is this is the book for you, and if you admire absolutely determined and extremely admirable people who who you know the least expected uh, heroine of all of all the fiction i can think of i mean this is the book for you
0: and, and too, it it has a real appeal i think uh to youth, because a lot of her experience mirrors a lot of, I think, what, what young people are, are experiencing now, and this kind of online involvement, and, mm-hmm. and the, uh, yeah. the use of the technology oh, yeah. as something that's really integral part of their lives, and a part of their personalities.
1: Yes, yeah, she's a kind of hacker genius, uh, which is somehow related to her uh, mild autism. Really interesting.
0: And and that's that's another aspect of, of the book. I think that's really well handled. Mm-hmm. Um, that you have a, a character who you know you know he does a great job of never making her overly sympathetic. I guess is that the the word yes. Yep. That that you she's unlikable enough to so that you can really like her. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Well, you can really believe her, and, mm-hmm. and and you really just want to see what she's going to do next.
0: And, and all the details the. Plot points, the subplots, the whirling, uh, twirling wheels that that put together this book are also really, really quite impressive. Yep. yep. And, do we have
1: time to talk about anything else today? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: well, we do want to talk uh, uh, about um, Olin Steinhauer's *The Nearest Exit*. This mm-hmm. is this is uh, uh, another espionage novel uh, featuring uh, Milo Weaver. Um, and he's an intro this is another uh, really well wrought piece of, of modern fiction.
1: Yeah, it's uh it it makes noir seem mild, that's for sure. <laughs> uh I say you know, I, I was thinking about how you know, if you like your chocolate at about eighty five to ninety percent noir, you know, and you have the same tasted <laughs> thrillers that this this is the book for you. Um He's a so called tourist, which means he's uh, uh, a hired gun used by an ultra secret division of the CIA, which the CIA supposedly completely disowns. And, uh, you know, he gets these assignments. Uh, as this novel opens, he's assigned to murder uh, a German teenager. And,. Uh, he doesn't. He's not sure whether they actually want this girl murdered or whether he's given this assignment by his bosses to test him because he's got a young daughter himself. But off he goes to uh, try to complete this assignment. And th- this turns out to be uh, an assignment that's related to a search by the uh, head of his uh, so-called tourism department to find a Chinese mole in the tourism bureau. Um it's, uh, this guy's the opposite of the echo tourist. He's a, a death tourist. <laughs> well, um, and the plot is, uh, you, you use the, the word spin. I mean, this kind of screws tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and then springs out at you.
0: And, and he brings in a lot of, uh, I think interesting things outside of just the the world of espionage, you know, there's some historical connections. Mm-hmm. I, and he does a great job with uh, uh his the the travel the travel novel aspect of of the, his
1: books. Mm-hmm. But you have to be careful walking down the streets of all these exotic cities because you never know when some uh, special tourist agent is going to throw someone off the balcony. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, on top of you. Now, uh Uh, One of the things too, I think that he's done a a good job of is is creating a character who's reusable, and that we can that Mm -hmm. that uh, you can read different books about the same character, and we can experience different plots without getting feeling recycled. There's a nice form feeling of a a developable character. Yeah,
1: this I guess all of this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but do you think all of this uh, evolves out of Sherlock Holmes? Oh yes, and. and, so you, and then it goes on to 20th century detectives like Sam Spade, uh, people like that. Uh, and uh, now it's, uh, I mean, you can't move in some parts of the bookstore because there's so many writers with these continuing series using the same uh, investigators. Uh, and, and it's kind of fascinating. That you think, well, how can anybody make something like this work? It's been done over and over and over again. But uh, Steinauer really does it very well.
0: I think too, you know, you mentioned uh, Sherlock Holmes, and I think that's a, an important point. And one of the things about Sherlock Holmes, his appeal, and I think this guy's appeal, is that they have such a firm hold on a real world kind of talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is always, you know, very uh, forensic. He's, you know, foot on the ground, both feet on the ground, but they take that to a point where there's almost a. a supernatural it's not although it's not that there's this feeling of a almost spiritual embrace of this uh, of the grittiness mm-hmm. so that it that it allows them to be uh you know almost uh transcend uh, what n- normal people would do mm-hmm. somebody once described to me that sherlock holmes is the first superhero
1: yeah i guess you yes. <laughs> and 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 uh, this guy and uh, you know Milo weaver and it certainly endures in situations that almost all of us would find ourselves immediately crumbling in
0: and and uh the 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 thing that steinhauer brings to this is the ability to make this groundness and make it gridly believable mm-hmm. and also extremely exciting too
1: oh absolutely and, yeah.
0: and as you say even though that that we've seen these kind of characters before we've seen these kind of situations before uh this is the second book in a series mm-hmm. um it's still exciting and seems new
1: I agree.
0: Our third book is the passage. This is by a, a literary author. His name is Justin Cronin, and who had a lot of, uh, um, I would say, more. He, his oeuvre up till now has been the kitchen window epiphany type. <laughs> oh, nicely
1: said. All right.
0: Um, and and yeah, he won a Penn
1: Hemingway Award for his first book, and, and
0: he's branching out now into Stephen King territory. Well,
1: branching out. I mean, it's I don't know. It, it, it's uh, he's morphed about 17 times away from what he once was. I mean, the story behind this supposedly is that his daughter said, write a scary book for me, Daddy. And he wrote a couple hundred pages, showed them to his agent. His agent said, aha, I think now that you're wallowing in the mud, I think we can make you some money. And, (laughs) uh, you know, snagged him a couple of million from a hardcover publisher. And uh, then they pulled another almost $2 million from a movie deal. So I think he's made over $5 million on this book. Uh, and That's been read
0: about, fit by about 25 people?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, it, you know, it's, uh, it's vampires. Uh, it's a vampire trilogy. Um, why vampires are so popular, I think I'll leave to the psychoanalysts and the psychoanalytically-oriented sociologists. But in any case, um it's a vampire novel in which um the, you know, a US army experiment creates a horde of infectious murderous bloodsuckers and the original uh, core of these uh vampires who are all condemned murderers. That's how they get into this project. Uh they take America down. They in- they m- eat or murder most people for their blood and and in fact uh, a number of others um and it just goes on and on it it's kind of it's a combination in a way of uh, the stand and uh oh, oh, hold on a minute i got can you can you hold it rick Sure. i i can take a swig of water hang on so, um it takes in, in a way it's a kind of a frankenstein of a novel the passages because he takes uh You know, parts of his motif from Richard Matheson's End of Civilization, classic I Am Legend. And he he uses parts of Anne Rice's uh, Vampire Chronicles, which is actually a much more elegantly composed series than this is. Mm -hmm. And he takes the post-apocalypse cross-country trek from Stephen King's The Stand. And... uh, he may deny this, but I—I I mean, there's even uh, you know a plot point from uh, the vampire movie Daybreakers, which just opened this spring, right? You know where the uh, vampires are afraid of running out of fresh blood, so they kind of start a human farm, so they can milk or uh, normal people for their blood. And so all of this comes together, and it—it's it, got a certain amount of narrative drive, but then it—it. It, Oddly enough, it flags when, at least for me, when um, he has to do what um, all those people out in Hollywood and TV call backstory, you know, because he's got such a multitude of characters moving through these pages, he he just can't let them be ciphers, so he's got to have them, you know, do oh, moo-moo, kiss-kiss at each other, or hey, I hate you scenes with each other as they're trying to survive the vampires, and... Um, that that really slowed things down for me. Uh, I mean, what he doesn't have is, uh, let's say, you know, to invoke the king of all this. He doesn't have Michael Crichton's ability to give us a character in a fast-paced, fluidly forward-moving plot at the same time. You know, so he's got to stop and give us characters, and then he starts the plot moving forward again. So, you know, in a seven hundred-page volume one of a of a three-volume story that can make for a lot of stops and starts. So I, you know, admired some of the parts of this. Uh, certainly the the vampire's immediate takeover of the American cities in a couple of months is quite frightening. But I honestly don't know if I'm going to go to volume two when it comes out. Well,
0: you know, uh, the, what this one really reminded me of was the strain, the, the Guillermo del Oh, Gatorre. yeah, right. How
1: could I have left that out? Right, and, of course. And,
0: and I thought the strain... Was I think much stronger and mm-hmm. much more terrorizing because it kind of kept the focus on the terror and, and yeah. it also had a smaller core group of characters. Right, and, and that that's a that's a, a big help. And, and the problem, in terms of a science fiction novel,
1: mm-hmm. what
0: he it's a really what the problem with this novel is a science fiction problem with the um. Uh, regular novel aspects in science fiction when you're like right telling a story and you're not very good at the science fiction part occasionally you'll have what's called an info dump where all of a sudden you bring the, right. the thing the whole story to a grinding halt and say but professor if the,
1: if your theory is correct. If your theory is correct,
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, here instead of he, he does a good job with the butt professor parts. That's like you say, the the takeover is is really exciting. Yeah. Um. It's just that he has to do a butt professor for butt professor. Your backstory is.
1: Yeah. So so you agree with me, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and also too. Uh, Though, I, I think, I one of the things I also liked about this Strain, though, there is some aspects of romance in it. It's not like, um, uh, it's not a big part of the narrative.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there's, uh, I mean, Cronin does, he's he's a good writer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, towards the end of this uh, volume, like, I don't know what page it is, page 600, something like that. You know, the, two of the characters are, you know, there's a birth scene, uh... Two characters who decide they're not going to go on continue the trek. They're left behind in the Rockies in this little house, and the, and and the, the woman of the pair uh, gives birth, and it's a rather beautiful scene. Um, and of course, they're almost immediately gobbled up by the vampires. Um, but it, it, there's that contrast of not just good writing, but very uh, nicely made scenes of out of ordinary the events of ordinary life. Coupled with this uh, you know menace that's hulking over everything it, it just seems um, you know there's there's no real synchronization of of uh, the the necessary the the levels of of, of uh, narrative here some of it seems bloated some of it seems diminished uh, and uh, you know he's good enough at what he does but, and I'm sure you know if he heard us talking about it he What's that famous thing that Liberace used to say? Oh, I'm laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs>
0: well, you know, I, I enjoyed the book. I it wasn't. I didn't think it was a bad book in in any regard. I thought it was, you know, it was competently written. There were no like giant plot gaffes. Yeah. Um, the char- There are some great characters or some superb scenes. I just wish it would have paid off a little bit more. And and right. And who knows? Maybe that happens in the next fourteen hundred pages. Somewhere. It could be, but I don't know that I'm going to find out. <laughs> Well, we'll find out what you do read in a month or so. I've been speaking with Alan Chewes. He's a critic for NPR's All Things Considered. He's an author of the uh, novel To Catch the Lightning, the the travel essay collection, A Trance After Breakfast. We just spoke about the Millennium Trilogy by Stieg Larsson. The Nearest Exit by Olin Steinhauer and The Passage by Justin Cronin. Thank you for joining me, Alan.
1: Great pleasure, as always, Rick.